Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by professional podcaster Brian Gottlieb, and we have some modern to talk about for sure. But first, because for some reason, I feel like maybe we don't get like a full 60 minutes out of just the modern stuff. We have some other stuff to talk about, Brian. Like, uh, I don't know how you did 37 podcasts this week. Yeah, it's funny that you refer to me as a professional podcaster now, but like I previously was a professional podcaster, I think. And now I, I would say I'm not. So actually, I'm less of a professional podcaster than I've ever been over the, like the last four years. Um, Did, but the output is high, though. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, was was part of that when you started with me, or was that talking about, uh, you know, like the the first strike days? Or no, I, I would say at some point in like our arena decklist history, we were both professional podcasters like i think that was the core of what we did and sure we did you know some other media as well some youtube and do some writing and some some broadcasting but i I mostly thought of myself as a podcaster first either way i even had two regular podcasts for a while yeah i mean either way you were talking for a living uh or at the very least using words for a living so yeah Whatever that amounts to, I guess. But uh, what what did you all do this week? Was it just all fab stuff? Yeah, all fab stuff. Three uh, different flesh and blood casts. Part of it, you know, we dro- we dropped our our newest set. It was in pre-release this weekend. And the release, the official release is tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday, so it'll officially release on Friday. So everyone's real excited. Lots of questions about. Uh, the design and this this is the first set where i have like a full design credit for uh the other one it was more of a consulting role so this one i in a big way too right yeah yeah it was uh you know i i can share i, I was always I, I was always unsure about sharing this but uh it's now out there on a credits page our design team is two people it's, it's me and james white the creator of flesh and blood uh so it's it's impossible for my hands not to be all over this set and we we came up with something really cool, I think, really exciting, and, and it seems like the flesh and blood community is really loving it. So it's been exciting. Hell yeah! Uh, are any of these podcasts things that I could listen to if, like, I know you and I don't know you? You know the scope of our fab conversations, right? Like, is is it too much in the weeds in a lot of this stuff, or no, I, like car names and mechanics and stuff? Or I don't think no? so. I th- I think in particular, if you went and found uh, the perfect podcast which is one of the first ones that it actually came out last week um but i talked to two of the awesome female content creators we have in the flesh and blood space uh elaine and melody and we talked very generally about like the design of outsiders and you know my background and stuff like that which i'm sure that is not interesting to you at this point you've basically lived my background for an extended period of time yeah Um, but you know i still i still like hearing you talk about it you know yeah, and they were also just like such, uh, you know, fun interviewers, and it, it was just a good vibe for that conversation. But I also was on with my friend, uh, Red Zone Rogue, over on his channel and his podcast, Living Legends Podcast. I hopped on with my buddy Flake over on the Instant Speed Podcast. So I've just been all over the flesh and blood world. Pitch Perfect Podcast. Pitch Perfect Podcast, and I will oh, say, I, I, as much as I love them, their their optimization for SEO is not great. Because no, 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 check this out. Did you find it immediately? So I'm on I'm on Pocket Casts. Okay. And I just typed in Pitch Perfect. 
Yeah. The first thing that comes up is one called near perfect pitch. And then okay. the second one is pitch perfect pod. And it's just, it is their podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. Nice, easy, fine there. So uh, I was, when I was looking for it, I was looking for it on YouTube, which I could see being a harder spot to find yeah. pitch perfect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, easy game. Yeah. And it's just been fun to tell like, you know, the behind the scenes stories I've, watched like Mark Rosewater do it for years and it always fascinated me too. I think like we all as magic players appreciate that look behind the curtains. And when I was put in a position to do that, I really wanted to give a lot to players. I, I wanted them to feel connected to the process and understand our thinking and just, you know, do as good of a job as Mark did and make himself, he's made himself so available for so many years. Right. Yeah. And like, I, the least I could do is pay it forward in some way to the flesh and blood community. So. Were you thinking when you started going through this process, like, oh, I should, you know, document this in some way or at least make mental notes because this is going to make for a good anecdote you know, I thought, five years I, down the line? Yeah, I maybe thought about it, but I just I don't have the time to do that. Like, it's, it's just not going. I can't prioritize, like, telling a good story about the creation over the creation itself. And any kind of like cataloging necessarily cuts into like design time. So I, it, it did, it did cross my mind and occasionally like something will occur to me like, Oh, this is a really interesting point in the development of this set. And I should tell the story of it sometime. Um, but, but no like specific note taking or story crafting went into like mental note taking though. Yeah. Maybe a little mental, mental note taking. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cause I, I think the the fact that you have been involved in magic and you know that getting those kind of like backstory things about like you know how the hell did batter skull get printed or what you know those sorts of things are like super interesting and then yeah. from from my experience going through the design steps it's it's so small ball the amount of like iteration that you do you're just like tweaking a number or a word like here and there you know and it doesn't seem like a big deal at the time, but if it goes from like start to finish, uh, then it it does look like a much bigger deal. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, well, like actually this story that took place over the span of four months or whatever is actually pretty good. And I wonder if this is ever going to come out someday. Who knows? Yeah. Some days it feels like your job is just like changing twos to threes all day. Right. Like that's, that's all you're actually right. doing. But then you look at like the cumulative effect of getting all your twos and threes right. And then not downplaying the tons of other things that go into it. There actually is a pretty interesting story there. So, yeah, I was, I was thinking about some of this stuff the other day where I don't know, just like working on cons and how through a lot of it, Teamer was the best and Abzan was the mopey, clunky, kind of like garbagey color combination, but it mm -hmm. had good cards and, you know, Thoughtseize and Heroes Downfall and stuff. So it's like, ah, maybe it'll just get like propped up on power or whatever. And then, like a lot of stuff changed at the end. Yeah. And it was, it's just like, man, you know, like some of the, some of the teamer stuff got nerfed. A lot of the Abzan cards got buffed, like notably Siege Rhino. But I also think that Abzan charm kind of got pinpointed to a more specific removal mode or whatever. Yep. And it just like the result of all these small changes is just a complete 180 on how yep. we, we saw things so it's funny it's funny how that works right like you only have to add like a point of power here a point of toughness there and then all of a sudden you know the entire standard format can be turned on its ear because of the ripple effects so yeah and then just at, some, at some point you have to hit submit on the stuff right it's it's pencils down yep 
So uh, you could just keep iterating for forever. So yeah, I, I like listening to that stuff, even if, uh, you know, I don't know the specifics, but maybe one day I'll, I'll learn the specifics. I guess we, we do have a uh, fab pro tour at yeah. the end of April, right? So I'll see end of you April, then. Yeah. You're going to come down hang out in, in Baltimore and you know, I would, I would love to see other yeah. magic players that I've gotten to know throughout the years come down and you know, I see more and more folks dip their toes all the time. Uh, Collins Mullen just did really well at a, flesh and blood tournament it's kind of the first time i saw his name around things so awesome yeah he's obviously getting involved and i i, I see new faces all the time so and uh, the other thing too i'd emphasize is that uh I, I think outsiders is just like it feels like the correct jumping off point for magic players and like some of that is me thinking like well where did this game sort of let me down when I was trying to discover it? Like, what did I want out of it as an experienced card gamer? How could we have better set up the new player experience? And all of that has been informing, uh, particularly like the intro products we did around this set. So okay. if, you, if you have been torn up until this point, go get the Outsiders Blitz decks. I designed them. There's six different ones, six different heroes, and they play really well against each other. And when, have, when are we going to talk about the the intro product experience? and End design? of this year. End of this okay. year. It's it's on the calendar to talk about. We can't we, gotta, we can't do it with just these. It would be like a very small part one. It'd be of a very series. small part of it, I think. All right. Well, that's that's still on my calendar. I can't wait. Yep, that'll be fun. All right. Uh, we also have a new card from yeah. March of the. Out of nowhere, Machine. I didn't know we were getting this one. Where did this come from? Who dropped this? I don't. I think it was just in like a tweet associated with uh, like <laughs> it was, the storytelling that's been going on around. March of the Machines, which apparently people have really liked. I, Mar- I would March be of the Machine. March singular. of the Machine, singular, sorry. Uh, I, I haven't read them myself, but it does seem like the story notes are hitting pretty hard with some people. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were... Remember when the cards were showing up uh, through tweets from, like, the main account, and we were just yep. like, why are these in, uh, like, arena mode or whatever? Yeah. So I remember that happening. So yeah, this is not a surprise. Anyway... We can talk about this real quick. Archangel Elspeth, two dub dub. Legendary Planeswalker Elspeth, four starting loyalty, plus one. Create a one one white soldier creature token with lifelink, minus two. Put two uh, plus one plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and gains flying, minus six. Return all non land permanents with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. My man, this is your ultimate collected company. Uh, yeah. Because it, it, it's not random. It just, whatever is in your graveyard, man. <laughs> and I, I can probably load up my graveyard pretty nicely. You know, I've I've seen some sentiment around this card. The first impressions were like pretty medium of it. Yeah. I think this card is very strong, actually. I'm surprised to see people as soft on it as they are for a few reasons. Like, are, are first, you, okay. Are you going to make the comparison? To the original Elspeth? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you even have to make the comparison. Like, very obviously, it does track hard to that original Elspeth. Um but I think I think this card just stands on its own. Honestly, I don't think you need to go there with it. Um, but if you want to, like, yeah, plus one, make a soldier. In this case, you get a little lifelink. Yeah, with lifelink, which then yeah. obviously plays well with the minus two. Yeah, and you make your permanently flying creature, right? Which is very different from the original Elspeth. Was Correct. it plus three three on the original Elspeth though? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but still, the permanent two two, very nice permanent flying extremely nice and, and they're they're both pluses as well so yeah yeah that is different for sure uh, but i think the buff is so significant here and so much stronger but what really actually entices me here 
is the minus six. It's powerful. Yeah, like game winning powerful if you want oh, yeah. it to be. And that is that is really exciting because this comes fast, right? Just plus plus immediate blocker ready to go. And it's not like you have to play fair around this ability. You can go ahead and stock up your graveyard in whatever way you want to go ahead and do that with these mana value three options loaded up, uh, you know, with your comes into play triggers, your, I mean, I'm not saying this is like a modern or pioneer, or I guess not pioneer, but a modern card like reflector mages and things like that, where you are getting immediate value off of it. It's, it's pretty easy to find options like that in standard and just, just go off with this minus six, but you don't have to, right? Like it's just there as an extra bonus. While if you have a deck filled with, one, two, and three cost permanents that you're like trying to attack with or trying to play a more mid-rangey game with. Think just like classic green-white mid-range decks. You can even look at like the, the toxic decks. I think that's a fine place to sort of take a first pass at Archangel Elspeth. I think if you just are playing a game, you will get enough value out of the plus one and minus two, or sometimes minus six can just steal your game out of nowhere. And that's that's pretty exciting for an offensive-based planeswalker. Yeah, I, I do think that this compares favorably to the original Elspeth, but I think it is pretty obviously to see that original Elspeth has also just been kind of outmoded. Oh, absolutely. Like it, it sort of used to be like the de facto mid-range breaker in modern, like way back in the day, right? Uh, it was It's just so hard to kill at the time, like, you know, four mana permanent when Abrupt Decay was like the biggest removal. Yeah. There wasn't... Uh, a lot of direct destroy planeswalker type of stuff. And then just like a one, one got in front of a Tarmogoyf, you know, it was just like a lot of weird things. And now it's just like, well, there's a lot of extra damage and unholy heat type of stuff and haze creatures and everything hits planeswalkers. But like, I do still feel like this is relatively solid. It just might not go back to like actual modern, but like, yeah, yeah th- speaking in the context of, of pioneer and, stuff like historic. I mean, not that this slides super well into like the angel theme, even though it says angel on the card, but like there are the angel decks that could benefit from like all of these abilities basically. But from my experience playing those decks too, the planeswalker that they played was like the Ajani life gain one that just like blowed up the board for, you know, matchups that got kind of out of control, like the mirror match and stuff. So like yep. this doesn't necessarily solve any problems that they have specifically, but uh, smaller creature decks, I do feel like could take advantage of this, but uh, you know, then a lot of those decks play, play Thalia and stuff, so I don't know. But the some of the legendary decks in Standard could utilize sure. this pretty well, or yeah. uh, mono-white mid-rangey type of things, uh, like the, the Lifelink Clause, I think, is is pretty nice. Just being able to like throw a big Lifelinker from this one card is going to be undervalued, I think. So what do you think about how this card compares to the wandering emperor? Uh, emperor is more versatile, I guess. Yeah, that, that seems reasonable. I, I think there is an opportunity for Archangel Elspeth to actually shine brighter in some shells. Whereas like you said, wandering emperor is just kind of good cards, like good card that does good stuffs. Whereas Archangel Elspeth is much more capable of empowering an archetype and maybe even making an archetype, like giving an archetype what it needs to compete. Yeah. That seems plausible to me. Whereas you can just sort of put the Wandering Emperor anywhere and it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I, I think this is this card is solid. It'd be like a card that I would not be shocked if it sees play, but it's probably not going to make a top 10 list. Yeah, uh, it's always hard to say that, but 
that seems reasonable to me. Given the last few sets and where the power level has been, I don't think mm-hmm. it is going to make any top 10. Mm-hmm. Obviously there were some sets where we we're just like, ah, I got four, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Power uh, level definitely on its way back up now. It feels like so. Which is cool. Uh, I think, a lot of people have said this too that like standards just in a really good place right now. It is. It is. And I, I think we've been saying that for a while now. And our only complaint about standard is like, can there no be vents. more standard? Yeah. Right. So I think that they've been doing a good job of increasing power level, making the sets exciting for a lot of different people and still being able to balance standard. But then again, there haven't been a ton of eyes on standard. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's uh, irresponsible to say that. You know, the format, even if you distilled it down and broke it and everything, that it would still be in a good place. But right now, when people are just kind of playing it casually, it does look really good. Yeah, it's always a a question, right? Like, Legacy succeeded for years because it was being played casually. And then yeah. when you actually delve into it, it, it was a very, very broken format and took some massaging till it got to, to a very good place. Uh, and then it got blown up again, so. Man, did you ever play the what was the name of this? It, it was a fake moto format. It was like vintage before they had power. Yeah, yeah. Uh it was classic. It was called classic, right? It was classic. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Played that. that format is I don't know. That what you just said about legacy just reminded me of that format too, where it was like mm. people could kind of like play that casually and it seemed fine, but then uh for whatever reason, I, I had this friend who was pretty spiky and tryhardy, but didn't really compete in in real life. Just, you know, had other stuff going on or whatever, but he played a lot of moto. And so he was like this shark coming into the the casual waters and ended up building a couple decks that just like destroyed the format. And mm-hmm. I got to play one of those decks at some point, which was like a necropotence psychotog deck or whatever you know just nonsense. sure yep. like gush was in there probably <laughs> mystical tutor maybe uh maybe but i hate mystical tutor so i don't know that i would have played it but, oh Look, it was- you can hate mystical tutor all you want there's no question like that that was the outlier in legacy when people started paying attention to that format and it very quickly well uh, degenerated the format there were some cards that got printed too. wasn't it just like entomb got printed or not not in tomb but there was something no it wasn't in tomb. like it, it was like reanimator that first broke mystical like put it yeah. most clearly in the crosshairs and facilitated a ban but I, I don't remember maybe it was just a good reanimation target it might have been like iona possibly maybe i don't know i know that i played reanimator a bunch once that list kind of popped up and yep. it was very good just uh, with, with zero games played i immediately got second in one of the opens and it was one of the most fun tournaments i played in my life oh when you're when you get to play on easy mode and everyone else is playing on hard mode there's few better feelings yeah and then i got killed by storm in the finals like turn one through with otzies or something so you know they were they were also not messing around (laughs) yep anyway uh got your uh reinvigorated podcast career back on track we got a new magic the gathering card anything else before we we try and fill uh how much time we got left yeah like 40 minutes talking about one modern deck well i can again uh ask for prayers as i head out to auckland in two days oh god 
last time those prayers only got me on the flight to nowhere. So I don't know if like the prayers of our listeners are actually cursed and I should not be requesting them, but whatever deity or faith you would like to, you know, put in a good word with for me as I get ready to again board what is supposed to be a 17 hour flight but who knows how many hours it will ultimately be. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be a 17-hour flight, and it's supposed to land you in Auckland, New yes, Zealand. Yes, these are the general you know, expected operating parameters of this flight. Hopefully it's and not 20 hours and lands you back in back JFK. Back in New York, yeah. Well, we'll see. We will see. It can't get much worse, right? No, it can't. It, it really just cannot. I, I, could, I guess I could die in a plane crash. Like, we'll put that out there into the universe totally possible but might be less torturous though it would be faster that's for sure yeah so at least you got that going for you but yep uh what's what's the weather like how are how are the volcanoes how are the the floods everything's good you're you're very volcano concerned when it comes to auckland but i it Listen, doesn't seem to be something that affects the people there all that much i uh, i added that to the list of things that were potential concerns because my my friend mentioned it to me Uh, because he seemed like it was he made it seem like it was a big deal well like there are volcanoes there and there have been volcanic volcanic eruptions and at some point there could be you know a catastrophic volcanic eruption that's in within the realm of possibility but that is true of like many places on earth like you know pacific northwest is very subject to a huge volcanic eruption at some point so uh, there's no immediate fear of eruption that i am aware of whether there looks good this go around like you know high 60s low 70s sitting right in that sweet spot they're kind of coming to their end of their summer now so it'll be nice to get away from the weather here in upstate new york and maybe get a little bit more sunshine as i'm down there do you, do you get to go outside do you go on walks i go on walks i well, i what last time I, I walked to work every day which oh, I nice. really yeah i really like uh this time i'm a little bit further away but i'm staying down by the waterfront so you know, I imagine I'll head out and take in meals by the by the harbor and walk around a bit and, and do all that good stuff. So, OK, no, all that all that sounds great. Yeah, it should be good. OK, uh, modern deck. Your uh, modern deck that you my, teased weeks ago, my finally paying deck. off. Well, I, I don't know if it's paying off because uh, I was going to wait until I had actually played it in a tournament. and. I had that scheduled for last weekend um, and that just did not happen because I'm kind of tilted, I guess. this I'm, I'm going to go on a little rant here. Okay, I'll allow it. I remember, and it, I'm, I'm like tilted, but I also want to preface this with like, I understand the way, uh, the reason that things are the way they are or whatever, and... Okay. I should not be tilted by this. It's just a matter of, I remember how things used to be better and they are not as convenient, at least for me personally. So I'm somewhat miffed. That mm-hmm. is okay. So, uh, old man yelling at clouds back in my day, used to be able to go to a website and go through and get your list of cards together and submit your order and probably have it within a week. And they probably had most things in stock. If not, you went to like your secondary or like tertiary option to like fill out the order for the odds and ends that the the main website did not have. Right. Mm -hmm. That is just no longer the case. Uh, You can just not do that 
in a lot of different ways. And I like like anywhere, there's no options where you can realistically do that any longer. So I've been I've been trying to not give SCG my business for yeah. a couple of different reasons. Yeah. And that meant that I was doing more stuff on TCG player, but I was also mm. buying fewer magic cards in general. So yeah. it was, you know, not that annoying of a process or whatever. And usually when I was doing TCG player stuff, it was like, oh, engineered explosives is $4 in real life and it's now 15 on Moto. They're probably going to go up in real life. So I'll just like buy out TCG players, engineered explosives. So I'm just looking at one card, right? Yeah. And that was pretty easy. Now I'm like, oh, well, I want to put together like this modern deck and this modern deck and uh, this pioneer deck and maybe buy some odds and ends for standard if there's ever a standard tournament, right? So I have this list of maybe 40 different cards and it's like rune of sustenance type of crap. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, some of the expensive stuff like fables and underworld breaches and things like that. And Going through that process on TCG player is kind of a nightmare when like every seller has one and then they list like the price and say, mm. you know, breach is $20, but $20 at this vendor and then like 22 at this vendor. But like the first one shipping is $5 inexplicably and the next yeah. one is like a dollar. And it's just like they don't show you the actual, it doesn't sort by like total cost of the thing or, you know, it's, it's kind of a nightmare. No, it, it, it does sort by total cost, I think by default. Sure. But okay. So then it's like, but it's not telling you how it's allocated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then if you're like, well, if I wanted to buy four of this, yeah, then actually this vendor is cheaper. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of a nightmare. And then they have their whole like quote unquote cart optimization thing. That doesn't Which, work. Don't touch that button. Yeah, ever. I've I learned both <laughs> through trial and error, and also through talking to some people where it's just like, oh yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I did order some cards at first and gave myself two weeks time. I thought that that was plenty of time, and the shipping said, uh, I think it was like five to twelve days or something. And it's like, yeah, that's that's fine. That's completely reasonable, right? And for a lot of sellers, that was. And uh, not all of them, I guess. Uh, I still have one order that I just checked the other day that the label got printed on the 9th and they still have not sent my order. It's now the mm -hmm. 23rd. Yep. And it's just like, what the hell? Like When I was selling stuff on eBay, I was trying to get stuff in the mail literally the next day because I felt like, I don't know. That was just kind of like my job. And also I wanted good feedback and whatnot. And that's, this is just not how people roll these days. Well, I think, uh, feedback has been de-emphasized in the process, right? It's become less important because as long as you're above a certain threshold, you're going to meet TCG requirements and be listed. And that's all you really need. Um, the, I'll tell you the way I engage with TCG and I should say the way I engaged with TCG because I would just rather, while. I would just rather, well, I would also rather not at this point. Like I just don't really want to use their platform anymore, but things are sort of approaching a monopoly for TCG and by TCG, I mean like actually eBay because eBay owns TCG and they own what was channel fireball or card shop live. And it's, it's all just become this one mush of of stuff and even if you try to go to like 
an independent uh like third party seller i didn't i didn't know this i was actually just talking with some uh some folks who were on the store side the other day like they're all using the binder pos system which is owned by tcg player anyway so anything you do in this space now just eventually gets routed through tcg player yeah which you know i I wish there were alternatives, but I don't see them right now. But anyway, if I were to engage via like the main TCG player site, the way I did it, and this was for mostly flesh and blood cards. So I don't, I assume, and I actually, I know there is, cause I've certainly purchased enough magic cards in the past. You find the retailer you like that you can count on that ships in the, the fashion you appreciate. I'm, uh, I'm still looking. Yeah. You know, I used, uh, MTG Mint card on TCG Player a lot. I, I liked their service and their prices were like a little bit higher than everyone else's, but they were extremely fast. They were, uh, you know, well packaged, things like that. And they, the main thing is that I had almost everything in stock. That's the thing where I yeah. just like want to find everything. Dude, I just want to remove stairs. Yep. And uh, I've, I've found flesh and blood sellers that are very much in the same vein where they just do everything well, they're fast, they have everything. And I just go to them and pay them like whatever the extra cost is. And I think if I were trying to like launch a business in this vein, that would be my model. Like I would just hit it out of the park, be $2 more expensive than everyone else, but just be like, look, you will always get your stuff promptly. It'll be well packaged. Any issues will take care of it. And that's how I would look to make my name. And I think that's how you make sustainable space on these platforms. and really carve out a niche for yourself but so, you do have to find them and there's no tools or cheat codes for finding them you just have to like try everyone yeah so uh problem that i i failed to list but is kind of an issue is that like a lot of the sellers have like one copy of a lot of the things yeah so that that was sort of what i was getting at with like you know this one has it at 20 but two dollar shipping or you know 22 and five dollar ship you know whatever uh, and then, yeah, you find the people that do have like four copies and it's 10 or 20% more expensive. And it just got so frustrating, especially after like the cart optimization thing, just like wiped out my order that I'd yep. spent like an hour putting together or whatever. Where it's just like, okay, I have this, I'll, I'll check Star City. Because that used to be their MO, right? It was like they had the stuff. Yeah, it was a more, little expensive, more expensive, but we have everything and it's easy and you get good customer service. Yeah, that was 100% their, their bag. And their thing for a a while, like the last few years has just been like, they don't have everything anymore. And part of the problem with that is like, from me being in house is like, they have a lot of the inventory. And I bet like if they got through all of their inventory, that they would have most, if not all things. The problem is that like, it just takes a ton of manpower to go through all of that stuff and list it all. Mm. Right. So do you think that's still like given the volume of product that is now being produced, do you still think they just like have absolutely everything and can't get through? I mean, like certainly that would compound the problem of getting through everything, but also can you actually just afford to have that much of your uh, net worth tied up in inventory? For them, it's a a sunk cost at this point. Yeah. I guess you're committed to the idea, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like, but I I have to like, I don't know this. I have to imagine their business is down question mark. I mean, like I know magic is going through this boom and, but they have to be so much further down the list of like first stops for a magic player than they were at some point where they were like the stop. Here's what I think. I, I think that it is not worth the time 
and effort and bandwidth for them to get literally everything up on the website because they are they were doing enough volume with what they had listed. Mm. And so your options then are like, do we commit more resources to get through all of this stuff and to fill the stuff that is sold out when that stuff may or may not actually sell? Uh, or do we just devote those resources to the things that are currently making money and we know are making us money, which is basically just like opening new product and listing that stuff? Yeah. Or does this sure sound like something that uh, works until it doesn't and is the result of crumbling infrastructure? Yeah. I mean, at some point- Check those off on my contract for this week, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) At some point, you you get, you know, more and more things that are sold out on the website and sooner rather than later, you're you're just going to only have like half the stuff up instead of the 80% or whatever that they have now, right? And then it becomes like an even bigger problem and even tougher to fulfill. But I, I think that, yeah, they, they might've taken a hit overall because, you know, competitive magic is down and even like a lot of the commander staple stuff, like they, they just don't have in stock. So it's like, yeah. even if people wanted to buy it and they want to go to star city to buy it, they just literally don't have it for sale. So like, what the hell are you going to do? But I think the, the business for them now is just selling new stuff and that is going well. So I don't know that they're making the same amount of money or whatever, but I mean, they're, they're still doing well enough to run a business and uh, at least for now, not get bought out by TCG player. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've certainly laid off a lot of people, uh, including you know, both of us, many of our friends. So, I mean, I they, dude, that I understand when, when COVID started March, 2020, what, what did I say? I thought we were going to be out of a job in six months. Yeah, made it a little longer than that. I, I do think they tried. Real, like, we, this isn't me dragging them. I think they tried really hard for a no, long I time. No, I know. This This around. is the positive for them is that yeah. Pete did not want to lay off anyone as a result of this. Yeah. But the the content portion of the website was definitely not making money because there were no tournaments. There was no demand for competitive content. And it certainly hasn't come back. Like, like right. maybe a little bit, but not what it was. Right. And it's it's more specified, right? Like people are more likely to just drop five bucks on a Patreon here and there for a sideboarding guide than they are to pay whatever it is, $15 a month for a monthly subscription. And yes. the, the thing, I think we've probably gone through this before, but like the thing that frustrated me about the Star City stuff in general was that like, we all knew this was an issue. We talked about it and no one tried to fix it. No one tried to offer like, a different content model or content plan or uh, business model as far as like what you get with subscriptions or changing the fee or whatever. It was just like, oh, let's just keep doing the same thing, even though we know we're hemorrhaging money. And then like, oops, now it's time to lay you all off. And it's just like, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I just, you know, we're, we've, we've tried nothing and we're all out of solutions or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, so that was the frustrating part. But yeah, they did keep us on for like a year longer than I I thought that they would. So like kudos to them. Absolutely. But certainly the way things went down was still very frustrating. But oh, yeah. Anyway, so I went to Star City and I went to put together a list and some of their stuff was like three times more expensive than TCG player and they still didn't have everything. So there, okay. there was yeah, like a lot, a lot of stuff that I was going to order for like future tournaments. That I still haven't that I have like carts open for all these websites and I looked at eBay. It's more of the same where like people aren't selling play sets of things. It's like I could buy one, one from here, one from here, one from here, whatever. And 
that's frustrating and annoying, especially since that's kind of what I did for TCG player. And like, I have three fables. Yeah. The fourth one just didn't get here. So what else is realistically out there? Like uh, there's gotta be like some third party that's still trying to do the old model, be it for better or for worse. I don't know. I mean, I, I looked at uh card kingdom. They've ha- kind of had that problem for a while too, where it's just a lot of the premium stuff they're constantly sold out on. And yeah. I looked at like some of the bigger retailers, tales of adventure, mint card, mint card, probably would work but uh is like more expensive than i wanted to but like yeah it just might be the end solution and (laughs) kind of the frustrating thing of all of this is like i was trying to move away from japanese cards yeah and but maybe it's easy to get them but haruya like somehow gets you your stuff within the week and they almost always have everything in stock Pretty excited that they have taken a keen interest in flesh and blood. I will say, I think that'll be a, a big boon to folks yeah. in that region. Yeah, no, that's cool. Anyway, uh, I did not get to play it in my PTQ. And I, I think I have all the cards for my Is It deck now. No, I don't. I, I don't have the minor misstep. Um, and I think that's it out of the things that I ordered. But I had okay. most of the stuff for this already. So that was pretty lucky. And. Uh, I guess the other thing too is like I used to have confidence that I could like go to stores and like buy stuff and that has just not been the case either like I, right I've, oh that is something I almost never had confidence like I was very sketched out anytime I was relying on will the store have something but yeah, it has gotten only worse yeah I mean it was it was more so like when I was going to stores regularly I it was because I went to those stores all the time and knew what they were capable of providing and what they weren't you know it's yeah. like certainly when I was growing up playing in Minnesota uh, I knew like what the stores had for inventory and like what I yep. needed to pick up and then playing like in Seattle and going to card kingdom. Uh, it was pretty easy to just like yeah, even usually, go on their website before. Yeah. Yeah. I would just order an advance show up at that little window and they'd have all the cards for me. It was quite nice. They did a good job with that. Right. And sometimes they're, they're missing something like a tribute to hunger or Merc lurker or whatever. And it's like, all right, I just find a replacement and that's fine. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's it's not the same now. I just go and it's just like maybe they have half the stuff or whatever, and I just don't even get to be like picky about what version. It's just like you know what they have is what they have, and uh, the price is the price. So they're just like, oh, you know, like this is three dollars. I just like I I don't care. Like I I need the card because yep. you're the only person here who has it. So There's nothing I can do. Please take my money. So anyway, uh, man, digital is pretty convenient these days let me tell you yeah i uh, it certainly can be i mean unfortunately magic online far more convenient than anything else uh shout out to the homies at card hoarder keeping yep. us supplied but uh yeah it, you're right a lot of stairs stairs that we spent years tearing down like just years and years making it so they wouldn't affect our experience anymore and then they all got built back up yeah i mean part of the problem is like i i i used to buy like a case when every set came out because like yeah, yeah, was relevant and then that just meant that i had everything right but uh i guess the upside to that is that i have saved thousands of dollars over yeah. the last few years which is good because yeah. i certainly don't need all of those cards yeah um, I, I just routed all that into flesh and blood i've saved nothing yeah but fair enough would have been nice would have been nice to save anyway uh a few weeks ago i I think it was maybe like the fourth or the sixth. It was like beginning of March. 
I was like getting the itch and I knew that PTQs were happening and sat down, looked at the format, looked at some of the deck lists and saw some stuff that looked pretty interesting and looked like it had potential and was also just kind of like frustrated by some of the ways that people were building their decks and all of that kind of combined to me, like actually just sitting down playing, playing in some challenges and whatnot. And um, so Omneth or Urian gets banned, right? Yep. Format adjusts like a little bit. Uh, I guess like creativity was already becoming a, a, like very popular towards the end of that. And then the, the Rakdos, uh, Fury, Grief, like Malakir Rebirth type of stuff started getting pretty popular too. But like other than that, there hasn't been a ton of, of shakeup for modern, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing these is it lists that were basically, well, it started with prowess where they would have all the cheap prowess creatures and like some DRCs and like more burn spells, mutagenic growth, lava darts, and then a bunch of underworld breaches. And that looked pretty good to me because it wasn't quite as all in as burn. It wasn't as able to play like mid range or control as Merktide, but it was this very good aggro deck that did have a lot of interaction that also had like this awesome late game, you know? And then started seeing some is it decks that kind of did that where they would effectively just cut Merktide Regent for Underworld Breach. And those looked really, really clean to me. So my thought on it was, I mean, my thought kind of always for a modern was that Counterspell is a little clunky, like the actual card Counterspell. And drawing one a game is usually fine. Sometimes play draw matters, sometimes matchup matters. Uh, but a lot of these lists were just like, I'm going to jam four Counterspell and four Merktide Regent and four Iteration, you know, and it's it's not like these cards are bad, but it's just a lot of very clunky two-mana Expen- cards. Expensive, yeah, expensive right. for modern. So a, a lot of my lists were like, oh, I got to shave like a Merktide, maybe shave a Counterspell and try and make up for that with maybe like some more one man interaction or even like zero man interaction, right? Like playing a subtlety main deck or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then when you start looking at these breach decks, uh, I don't know. It's just like counterspell and, and breach sort of have the same issue too, where like even on your breach turns, if you're using it as uh, kind of like this mid game refuel, well then your, your counterspell mana is, is down for that turn. So like any counterspell that you find, you're not going to be able to use anyway. And the problem with it in general is if it rots in your hand, you don't have a good opportunity to actually trade that for a card, then you're just going to fall further and further behind, which then also makes the card counterspell worse and worse because you don't have really good ways to catch up. You know, you don't have like the solitudes and and stuff like that. that Yeah. You need to be ahead. Right. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take these breach lists. I'm going to streamline them. And then also like, what is the best thing that, or not even the best thing, but like, what should we be striving to do on our breach turns? Like, are we just using this to like play some lightning bolts, maybe some mistress bobbles and use this as a card advantage tool? Or do we actually want to go kind of hard? And I saw some lists that were trying to go hard where it was just like, they would still just play like a random Thassa's Oracle or a grape shot or whatever. And I think that uh, my my initial reaction was like you can just use it as a a draw spell, 
And to get more out of it, you probably need to be filling your graveyard a little bit more than these lists we're currently doing. Uh, because like, you know, Breach plus Bobble just by itself is is pretty obscene if you have enough cards in your graveyard. And you're able to keep playing the game and everything. So it's like, yeah, I think these lists are probably playing, you know, too many hard counter spells, maybe not enough things to fill their graveyard. I also think that they're just not playing enough lands. Like a lot of lists had 19 land, but with like a fiery island and an Odawara as if you were going to get flooded and like have no way to use your mana. Mm-hmm. When you're just trying to make all of your land drops because every land that you have probably translates to another spell that you can cast off breach and stuff. And then especially if you're trying to do something where you play like some dig spells into a grape shot or whatever, it's like you just want all your mana. And then also for the breach turns, uh, you just need a lot of red mana too. So people cutting back on just straight blue red dual lands, I, I was not a fan of either. So I, I played a league with the old lists because I was like, well, they're doing something right. I'll just try it and just got punished by like all the things that I thought about. So then went back to the drawing board, uh, fixed the things that I kind of talked about, went up to 20 lands, added a couple copies of Thought Scour, went down to two counter spells. I'm playing a grape shot. Uh, and I I think this list is very good to the point where it's uh in the same vein, maybe a little weaker, but definitely similar to the like combo control decks that get to play like all the different game plans and are super threatening. Uh, so, you know, not quite dark depths level good, but like up there. Oh yeah. I, I see it, man. Like it, it is very clear laid out. Like you are now in my wheelhouse, the type of decks I love to play um, where you're pushing threatening on multiple axes at the same time. You force your opponent into no win situations or just run over your opponent in some spots. Your stuff lines up properly. You have, Cheap removal, cheap disruption, cheap threats, and it just snowballs very, very quickly on your opponent. So it feels like you're interacting with all points of modern at this juncture. Let's just, I just want to read the list just yeah. so people have the full that- list. We're looking at four Ragavan, four Dragons, Rage Channeler, three Ledger Shredder, four Mishra's Bobble, four Consider, two Thought Scour, four Expressive Iteration, three Lightning Bolt, four Unholy Heat, one Grape Shot, three Underworld Breach, two Spell Pierce, two Counterspell. Four Spire Bluff, four Steam Vents, four Scalding Tarns, two Flooded Strands, a Misty, a Polluted Delta, and then three Islands, one Mountain. We'll talk more about the sideboard. Let's talk about that specifically when we get there. Sure. Uh, so we'll leave it at 60 for now. But, um, like, obviously, I look at this list and the differences from it existing is it Merktide stuff that's out there it seems pretty small at first glance. Like if, if you were scrolling quickly through a league and this deck was there, you might scroll right past it and not even give it a second thought. How much of an evolution do you think this is from what the existing Merktide lists are doing? Cause you, you said you think you, you broke modern. So, so tell me why this is such a step forward from what is currently happening. Because Merktide has, Cards that, when they line up, are basically exactly what you could ever want, but you have to be in those positions, in those matchups, in order to have that happen. And, I mean, Merktide has 
been part of the metagame has been among like the top three decks basically since like the deck was created and it's taken a few different forms and gotten like some new prints here and there and stuff uh has always been able to like adapt out of the sideboard and stuff like it is it has been a constant of modern but it has definitely changed from like moments where it is the de facto best deck to like you probably shouldn't play it this week because you're pretty weak to like x y and z and those things are getting more popular and it's not really a thing that you can easily fix right and i think that my deck in the aggregate is going to be stronger against a random opponent on average and there are likely going to be specific matchups where murktide is slightly better uh at least just like in the heads up, right? It's like maybe maybe Murktide has like a 65% matchup where I have like a 55% one or whatever. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of unavoidable when your decks are different. Uh, but I think that my numbers across the board are going to be better. And certainly when you're playing the games, you are not going to feel like uh, just like a lot of my cards, you know, don't do anything or don't matter here. Sure, that, that all tracks. Uh, I kind of want to push you on some specific numbers and and get... Some thoughts for you at how you arrived there. Hit me. Three Ledger Shredder. Did you consider just other cards in this spot? Uh, how influx were these numbers for you? The Tell fir- me about... Go ahead. Uh, the first list that I played uh, had Third Path Iconoclast. Okay. Because uh, I guess, you know, it with Mishra's Bobble is certainly cute and good. And... um. It made sense when you're doing like your breach thing, you also end up with like five one ones or whatever, and maybe you could do something along those lines. And it it did seem playable to me, like definitely playable and and solid and maybe better even in some matchups. And it was it was fine. It was exactly fine. Like th- there were some things like against uh core sanctifiers or sanctifiers in deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it was like, yeah, Iconoclast is like kind of a solution to that. And Ledger Shredder is kind of a solution to that. But like Shredder is a much cleaner, much better solution the way it played out. Whereas like sometimes you just like don't have uh, spells, you know, like I played like these sometimes long drawn out games against Hammer where they would get me kind of low. I would stabilize. I would have, you know, my two one blue and red thing. And then we would maybe get into a racing scenario. And then if I didn't draw like a solid string of spells, I would just like run out of blockers for the thing. Whereas like the shredder just by itself blocks. And then there's also the aspect of you are maybe trying to maintain delirium against them, or at least have something that you can play out of the graveyard for breach. And then the iconoclast gets exiled by the sanctifier and you actually just don't have any non red creatures to to maintain delirium so like that was Mm -hmm. the thing that kind of mattered too so like the fact that shredder is blue definitely matters the fact that it is flying matters because i don't have murktides of my own i don't have a ton of ways to stop them from resolving murktide and so if a murktide comes down in game one it's kind of difficult to to actually kill outright or like make a bigger flyer or whatever so a, a lot of times it was just like playing flyers and jump blocking and setting up for a big breach turn where either like you just double heat it or kill your opponent outright and so having shredder being another flyer definitely helps with that but the the big reason is just like more filtering and more ways of filling your graveyard 
I'll also say it, it seems to fit better with this theory, like the overarching theory of your deck where good against everything, everything's always functional. Like whereas third path iconoclast relies on the texture of your draws, having other cards in hand. It it just seems like Ledger Shredder is more consistent and gives you more agency over your games, which seems to be a recurring theme here. Yeah. And also Iconoclast is weak against Renin Six in a deck where a lot of your stuff pretty early is weak against Ren Six. Like you can sure, make the argument yeah. that like, oh, DRC gets Delirium pretty early and like you can dash Regavan or whatever, but it's like turn one and turn two, you have some really hard decisions, right? And so so much of that would just be fixed with like Gitaxian Probe, right? Just like knowing whether yeah. or not they had it. Like, can I cast Ragavan turn one on the draw when you don't have anything else to do with your mana and because you're on the draw, you don't know if you're actually going to have time to be able to like dash it later on. And if you just cast it and they play Ren and kill your thing, it's just the wind out of your sails even more. So yeah, disastrous. Adding more fuel to that fire, like playing Iconoclast into that is so much worse than just being able to like safely play a shredder. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, how about that cantrip? Sweet. Why don't we talk about that for considered two thought scours? Any flex in these numbers? Again, thought scour is kind of the step in a more graveyard focused direction here. Did you consider higher numbers? Was there any period where you just like max cantrips to see how far you could go down this road? I did not want to start max cantrip because I know how clunky that can be. It's just like a lot drawing on a lot of previous experience from playing decks like this and just being able to eyeball the numbers and come to uh at least within like one or two cards like what i end up feeling is the optimal number you know and i think a lot of this i did just eyeball and then most most if not all of it ended up being where i ended up after playing a bunch of games and i initially thought that yes you could go super hard on thought scour and have like really really explosive breach turns but that you also didn't need to it was basically like, I don't want to get to turn four, five, six, and then have breach and have it be anemic. So I needed like a little, little more help there, but I don't need a ton of help because you're still uh, a little constrained by just the amount of mana you have total, depending on what you're trying to do. Again, like there's always bobble where, uh, especially like when if you have a DRC in play or multiple DRCs, right? It's just like, you can just keep recasting the same bobble to draw cards on your opponent's next upkeep. And like, if you just do that off a of breach, like that is good enough a lot of the time. Right. But sometimes you also want to like dig for a specific thing or like dig for uh, an iteration or the follow-up breach for the next turn, because this is going to be like the one that you stabilize off of, but you need something to actually like put you over the hump now that you're kind of stable or whatever. So sometimes you do just actually need mana on, on your breach turns and uh, you don't necessarily need 20 cards. You just need like 10 or so. And I think two thought scour is the amount where you can put it into your deck and be able to find enough instances where you can like weave that into what you're doing to have it not feel clunky and not have it be clogging up your hand. Whereas if you go higher on that number, you're going to start seeing more hands with just like a lot of air 
And modern isn't really the format where you can just spend the early turns like spinning your wheels and like setting up again because this deck yep. doesn't have like a big comeback mechanism. So one of the things I, I considered doing was going to 19 land and playing the third thought scour, but I don't think that you need to do that. Like 20 land is a little bit heavy at times and it is certainly more heavy the amount that you're just like hand tripping and stuff. But mm. I, I want to be able to hit every land drop. So I do think that that is important. So I, I don't think I would do 20 land and three thought scour. I think that that's too much. Okay. Uh, next card. This is a card that I'm actually a little surprised to see you include because this is the type of thing that I know you try really hard to work out of your decks where you look for like the leanest, most efficient version of the deck you can possibly find. And is this the you're great not shot? Yeah, you're not looking for a simple out. You're looking for, you know, what do I actually need to win games? And I that is in service of like not playing any cards which have huge deltas in their usefulness. Again, kind of going back to the overarching theory of this deck. But then here's this grape shot. So tell me how you arrived at this one of grape shot. And what does it open up for you? Like uh, how big of a kill are you actually able to put together with this one of grape shot? Look, man, even your Nexus deck needed a callous dismissal. Uh, yeah. Right. That is that is true. I was forced to play one of them yeah. against my will, but yeah. it, it's it's the same deal here. It's not a hundred percent necessary, and you see plenty of lists that are similar to mine that do not play it. I just think that you lose out a little bit by not having it in some matchups, and I think that the opportunity cost is relatively low, especially just because you get to side it out in the spots where you don't need it or want it. Yep, and. Uh, let me let me just look at like the modern decks here. So uh, going down the list, uh, is it Murktide? You don't need it there. Uh, against creativity, I'm not 100% convinced that you need it there, but it does make things a lot easier. Sure. Uh, Hammer, you don't need it. Rakdos, you don't need it. You, you actively don't want it. Uh, Rhinos is one of those decks where you can get into racing situations, have like, your kind of big breach turn and maybe not be able to stabilize all the way because maybe you can uh, kill their rhinos, set up enough blockers, but maybe you're low enough that like if they top deck a burn spell, you're going to lose. And that's a, almost exactly the type of matchup where having the grape shot to kind of ensure that you're able to actually win the game on that turn matters enough. And the grape shot, like you're not, you're not grape shotting people for 20 because it's just like not really possible. And I've looked right. for, I've looked for ways to do that. And I don't think one exists. Um, I did see, uh, so one of the reasons why I'm like happy to talk about this deck now, even though like I personally did not like win a PTQ with it or whatever yet is that last weekend, uh, demonic tutors, who is a streamer on Twitch, usually plays Yawgmoth, but plays like a lot of modern, uh, got ninth and top eight in challenges with a very similar list. Mm -hmm. And his his first list had uh, two remands instead of two counter spells. Basically, so he could play Gigantha. But like, I have sideboard cards that make it, so I don't want to play Gigantha. And then also had a copy of an offer you can't refuse. Mm -hmm. And I got really confused for a moment because I was like, wait, between like remands and like an offer, is there like some weirdo infinite that I am yeah, yeah. not seeing or whatever, right? And is there? No, the answer is no. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, but the the offer you can't refuse, he basically played instead of a spell pierce because maybe it allows you to generate mana on your breach turns, which could let you go a little bit deeper on the grape shot stuff, especially if you needed to say like lightning bolt your opponent a couple times to like whittle them down before you grape mm-hmm. shot at them for mm-hmm. 10 or something. But yeah. my plan is to basically get in some chip damage. Maybe uh, if I know that the game is getting to this point, like uh, lightning bolt them and then be able to do some stuff where I like breach, play some bobbles, lightning bolt, grape shot you for exaxes or whatever. Um, but if if you wanted to get like the grape shot number higher, I do think that you could play an offer you can't refuse, but he said it's straight up cost him the top eight because it wasn't a spell pierce. So, you know, obviously like that card has risks too, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that there are ways you can go harder on it, but if you are looking at it like in the games that you're racing that are close, that could come down to like, I need to actually win the game this turn versus potentially give my opponent an untap step because modern is a powerful format and you know like creativity can do the same thing right it's like you give them a chance on tap the creativity for three and just like drain you for a bunch like possibly kill you right it's like there are just some matchups where you need to close the door and i think that hammers or uh, rhinos is one of them because you're basically fighting like tempo deck against tempo deck uh where you know they're getting in for trample damage they have like some burn spells to finish you off and everything uh it's just like kind of dangerous and then Burn is sort of like that as well. It's a little trickier um, because most games that you're winning are because you've killed early stuff and have had some counter magic to keep your life total uh, relatively high. It's like rarely coming down to just an actual race. Uh, So I I would probably be fine cutting the grape shot there. And then uh, Omnath is one of the matchups where I do think you need to do something that's a little bit powerful off of Breach, but I also think that Grape Shot is not necessarily it because they can potentially just like pad their life total enough if things are going sort of poorly for you. So if Omnath is ever a massive, massive problem, I might start looking into things like more Thought Scours and then just like playing a Thoughts' Oracle instead because like a lot of the games where you Grape Shot kill people for a reasonable amount, you could also probably Thoughts' Oracle kill them. And then those situations, maybe you need the offer you can't refuse to be able to generate enough mana to do that stuff. But like sometimes it's just like you have a channeler, you play a breach, you play like another channeler out of the graveyard, you just bobble mill yourself until your deck is mostly gone. So. Yeah, seems very reasonable. Uh, anything else you want to say about the main deck? I want to make sure we talk a little bit about the sideboard before we wrap up here. Yeah, two counterspell, two pierce is is a little weird. It's like I, I want some permission because there's just some things that you need to deal with on the stack. Uh, Cascade is definitely among them. Having some counterspells for even just things like Murktide Regent or whatever uh, that are not necessarily like game ending, but are kind of problematic like i i do think that it matters but like you can also build the the deck in a different way where instead of like this deck is trying to like be a little bit controlling and play like longer games you could build it more in line with the prowess decks and like just try and kill people instead and i think that's a fine plan it's just a little more narrow than mm-hmm. i would want so uh the, the other thing that kind of sold me on counterspell is like looking at the amulet list they're not playing a lot of caverns Interesting. Do you think that's just a commentary on what the format is about right now? I don't know. I feel like 
people just always did that. They're always like, I'm going to play one cavern main and like more in the board. But especially when Murktide is one of the biggest decks, I don't really like that. And they have a lot of lands in their decks, like 33, 34. And a lot of those slots are being taken up by things like Mycosynth Gardens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, just like stuff like Besaju and uh, you have like the Saga package, the Valakut package. Like they're all just these new packages. <laughs> it's like, a lot of good lands now. Yeah. So they're just like, oh, I'll just like cut back on caverns or whatever. And I'm just like over here, like, you know, drooling, like, yes, please cut all your caverns. And I saw, I saw some lists that just like didn't have any main deck. And that just seems kind of silly to me. Yeah. It feels like you're always supposed to have that one. Right. And let you at least think about playing the game in that fashion. Yeah. I, I mean, having one matters more if you're playing, it's a slower deck, like a blue white control deck where you have time to like Teleria West for it or whatever. And you don't mm. necessarily have that time against actual Murktide. So I, I kind of wanted to create like a, a similar scenario against them where it's like, I, I want to put pressure on them. I want to actually have counterspell to keep them honest. And then uh, I, I talked about like not wanting to play remand to facilitate Gigantha. Like the other reason I, I want to not play Gigantha is because I have stuff like subtlety in the sideboard, which I, I'm scared of amulet. You know, like I, I think that subtlety is like really important uh, to being able to beat them. And at that point you can't play Gigantha really anyway, because I'm bringing subtlety in a decent yeah. amount of places. So. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. I, I see, I see the value of subtlety in this format for sure. Why don't we move on to the sideboard? Yep. And again, I'll just read it uh, Two blood moon, two subtlety, two fluster storm, two soul guide lantern, two engineered explosives, two dress downs, then one vapor snag, one abraid, one minor misstep. What's the best way to talk about sideboard? You just want to kind of give the general theory on what you're trying to achieve in post-board games, how each of these cards plays into those plans. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, if you wanted to basically lock up your Merktide matchup, play play the one vapor snag main deck because you're basically doing the same thing and you're because you have some amount of counter magic on your own and enough like threatening cards, you're going to be able to resolve a breach at some point. And it's whether or not your breach is better than whatever threats they have assembled at that point. And mm-hmm. generally if they have a Murktide, it's hard to actually beat the Murktide straight up. So you have to like kill your opponent or present some flying blockers and hope they don't peel. Uh, or, have a card that allows you to like answer the Murktide cleanly. And I think Vapor Snag is just that card. So like you'll get in these scenarios where you just like trade a bunch, they resolve a Murktide, you resolve a breach, and then you do a bunch of stuff, but also Vapor Snag their Murktide. And that requires you to find like the one copy of Vapor Snag in your 60 card deck or whatever. But I assure you at that point, you're you will, like 30 you to 40 to cards so. in your deck. So yeah. yep, that makes sense. Uh, if you, if you have a Vapor Snag, against them it's very difficult to lose and then they're gonna bring in some very light amount of graveyard interaction usually unlicensed hearst which uh is basically why i have an abrade in the sideboard i used to have Mm -hmm. a shattering spree also um but yeah just try to keep the hearst off the battlefield if you can uh sometimes a tall order you know but also like the hearst is kind of like clunky and slow you know like especially with things like thought scour and DRC in the mix, when you're trying to set up a breach turn, sometimes Hearst just isn't even enough, but not eating enough graveyard quickly enough. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, you're going to have like 10 plus cards and you cast breach and they have a Hearst and 
they're going to get to remove some stuff, but it's probably things that you have like redundant copies of anyway. So whatever. Uh, the other thing is uh, just knowing when you should be like maybe keeping a bobble in play. Uh, I, I think that that matters a decent amount against graveyard hate in general for being able to like re-enable delirium or just making sure you have one in your graveyard for a breach later or something. So mm-hmm. like those kind of weird things come up sometimes too. That's cool. Uh, that That's the level of like, depth to this deck that really draws me to want to play it like it it has that old school legacy feel to me yeah no it definitely does um blood moon i started with magus of the moon because i would i basically like i i think that blood moon is generally stronger it's like harder to remove and there are some instances where magus is actually the more difficult card to remove because people maybe load up on answers to Blood Moon, but just like don't have ways to necessarily kill a creature. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at some of the decks, and uh, Amulet has access to a lot of Besages, so I was like, ah, eh, maybe maybe Magus is better against them. But like, a lot of them also just have a bunch of copies of Dismember in the sideboard, and then Magus is it's it's definitely worse against Omnath, just because they will have a small amount of like lightning bolts, but also fury and uh, stuff like solitude and stuff. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. blood moon is going to be better against Omnath decks and it's going to be slightly worse against amulet. But I, I think that overall blood moon is going to give you better results. Like I started with Magus and just to try it and it was fine, but it was more scary to me to just be like banking on a Magus than on a blood moon. And then again, yeah, I understand that against things like uh hammer or just any of the saga decks. It's just like, it, it doesn't really matter a lot of time. Usually you just like save the blood moon for when you can kill a saga with it. And if it dies, it dies. Who cares? Yep. Uh, subtlety is for the matchups where your, your deck that is like average CMC 1.2 or whatever actually needs some zero mana interaction because they're like a little too fast. and. That's stuff like Amulet, stuff like Burn, but uh, subtlety in games where you're going longer can also be pretty good. So against stuff like the Omnath decks or uh, occasionally in the mirrors too. And it gives you like another sort of like backdoor way to stop Murktide Regent. And again, is another flyer, which matters in that matchup. And uh, yeah, s- Scam, another place <clears throat> where you're bringing it in, which I yeah, I just think subtlety seems quite good to me in the format right now. Like it is lining up very well against the strategies that are being employed. No, it is for sure. You just need a way to rebuild after that. And Merktide can do that because they have, you know, cantrips and Ragavan and iteration and stuff. But like Breach is just like the ultimate refill. Yep. So easy mode rebuild. Uh, I'm also kind of interested in a deck that could just be like, subtlety fury um most of the other you know similar stuff but then like breach just to like draw five and refill but the kind of the problem with that is then like a lot of your interaction is the stuff that you can't play from the graveyard with breach Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it it gets kind of awkward so i haven't really gone down that route but like i am i am interested in like subtlety as force of will and then breach as ancestral recall i think that that could be potentially pretty powerful sounds like a good place to be uh, Flusterstorm just for Cascade and for uh, Counter Wars in Is It Mirrors, basically. Uh, also have a copy of Minor Misstep, which could be uh, third Flusterstorm. Could honestly be a lot of things. And I, I 
on, on its face, minor misstep trades even or down on mana. So I don't necessarily like it, but against Cascade, it, it does trade up on mana, right? Because yeah. they're generally paying three for their thing and you counter them outright. And then there's this weirdness with the Murktide matchup where uh, given the prevalence of mirror matches and stuff, they have started to play like one or two copies of Spell Snare. And it is not impossible to fluster storm a spell snare, but uh, it is much easier to minor misstep a spell snare. So that it is. Yep. Minor misstep is a fluster storm in mirrors that doesn't hit. Uh, doesn't hit iteration all the time. Like, I mean, fluster storm doesn't hit iteration all the time. Minor misstep doesn't hit it at all, but like, it's always going to hit spell snare and like whatever one mana cards you wanted to. And then it has like the added versatility of being able to like stop a Rekavan or, or whatever, if you need to. So it's a little bit versatile. I think like the two, one split makes sense, but yeah, there, there are definitely going to be matchups where it's like, ah, this, this misstep is just a worse fluster storm. And I get that. But then there's also spots against amulet where it's like, you can misstep an amulet or a summoner's pact. Whereas mm -hmm. fluster storm is just not even a card you can bring in against them. And, like, yes, it is a thing that you can do. Does that mean that you should be doing it? Is is minor misstep a card you absolutely should be siding in against the amulet? I'm undecided on that. Currently, I am bringing it in, but, like, you definitely don't have to. Okay. I mean, like, the flexibility in plans, big part of the appeal, right? Like, you're able to adjust as, you know, based on how your opponent's built, how your opponent's playing the matchup. I think having those kind of options available to you, uh, almost always good when you're playing the style of, like, small ball is it decks. Yeah. Uh, dress down mainly for Urza Saga could be uh, a copy main, which I think a lot of people have done in their Izzet decks basically to yep. save a sideboard slot. I started there also, but I, I wanted the 20th land. I wanted to have two Thought Scours. I wanted seven one-drop removal spells. I wanted four pieces of permission. So it was just yeah, like... I, I sure I sure don't see the cut looking at the list. Like, it seems very hard yeah, for it me to find a way to... I get that in main. I settled on an unholy heat or a land, and I was not happy with either of those. So I was just like, look, can I get everything I want out of my sideboard and still, you know, have this other dress down in the board? And I think the answer is yes. Um, two engineer explosives also for saga tokens, but also like a lot of the decks that play saga just have a lot of stuff that explosives is good against. So explosives, yep. very good against hammer, very good against rhinos. Um, if you expect a ton of rhinos, their explosives is definitely pretty powerful. I, I would recommend playing that. Uh, I never expect any rhinos, so I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I'm always shocked whenever rhinos does well. Uh, yeah. Probably I mean, it, the end of time. it, it does well in the challenges. It seems like every other week it like wins a tournament or whatever. So people are still out there doing their thing. And I would much rather like, if I expect that deck to show up, you have the tools to beat it. The The reason it wins is when people skimp on respect it. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Uh, soul guide lantern instead of Hurst. I think that this is kind of a big deal. Um, because I actually don't care about Hurst in the mirror because I'm not necessarily trying to stop Murktad region in that way. All right, hold on. I, I have to stop you here because I argue with Janelle about this all the time. Are you saying Hurst? Hurst. Or Hurst? Hurst. Okay. Do, do you think you occasionally say Hurst? Probably. Or, or am I just hearing it? Probably. Okay. Un unlicensed Hurst. Uh, like... I don't know. SE does kind of like make the T sound, which is probably it like how it yeah, got started. I, I think our mouths like 
want to push us in that direction. Just like ending things with like an S sound where it's not pluralized is also weird, you know, like hearse. Yeah, it is. Purse. I guess we don't say like pursed, but yeah. Yeah, I bet there's someone out there who says it that way. I could see that being a common mistake. My my pursed. Yeah. That that man stole my pursed. My unlicensed pursed. (laughs) Yeah, I I probably say I'm trying to say hearse, like, and just, you know, cut it off there. I know that that is correct, but. Any any objection? It's so it's so it's so rare that I get to be the one correcting someone's pronunciation that I really have to take advantage of it. So oh, uh, dude, I'm, by I'm all happy means. to move on now. Uh, do you have any objections to like me cutting hearse in general? I don't like for basically exactly the reasons you're describing. Like if I was if, if I was trying to, uh, you know, deal with something like dredge, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, you probably want to commit to hearse at this point, but. I think given how these games are playing out, Soul Guide Lantern makes perfect sense. You you don't want that sort of small ball, ticky-tacky type effect. You need something a little bit bigger like this. Yeah, and against against something like Dredge, I would rather have Soul Guide Lantern. I, see, I think they're better against playing against things like Soul Guide. Like, good Dredge players are better against playing like your two of Soul Guide Lantern than they are against something like Hearse, which is just like this persistent, annoying thing. But that's really besides the point, because my point is you don't have to account for either. So no, 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 given you, what you are accounting for, I think I like Soul Guide. Here's the thing, though, is Hearse costs two, right? Soul Guide yeah. Lantern, I, I, I know what you're saying, where it's just like, yeah, you get their graveyard once, they're pretty good at rebuilding. You have Breach to replay the Soul Guide Lantern. Oh, that's fair, yeah. That's why. You create, like, these pseudo-soft locks against them, which Hearse probably lets them you know, go through a bunch of cards, maybe get some amount of battlefield presence. And then, yeah, you have like this thing that is persistently kind of annoying them, but they've probably done enough that you don't actually care. Whereas Lantern comes down early enough to where it matters. And then you mm-hmm. can just keep doing it on like subsequent turns. Okay. So that's well, why I like feeling. that. And I've, I've even sure. considered like Tormod script, but like the fact that this can cantrip in, in some of those scenarios against decks that are like soft graveyardy, like, the the Rakdos decks, for example. It's like I, I want some amount of graveyard interaction against them to prevent like a, a grief from coming back or whatever. And they do their thing quickly enough generally that I want it to be zero or one mana. But also mm-hmm. in longer games, like maybe you don't need this effect and you just want it to cantrip. So I think I think Lantern is actually good. Dude, love me an old school uh relic of progenitus tormod's crypt split that was a feature of like all of my is it delver decks for a very long time yeah uh, and even more reason to explore it in this context i think yeah and relic relic would be great except for the fact that you love your creep. you lose your your shit yeah um but yeah i could see one one tormod script one soul guide lantern um i, th- I think that that would be fine i just am, am much happier with lantern and the versatility or whatever but uh, there are also going to be metagames where, given that you don't care about Murktide region in that way, that you just don't play Graveyard Hate at all, and maybe that's where you get some of your other slots from. Mm-hmm. And I would only do that if I thought that I had a good Rakdos matchup already. You know, this is just an, another thing that helps solidify that. Yep, makes sense. And then Minor Misstep can also come in against them, whereas like maybe Flusterstorm can't. 
So that's another spot for that. And then yeah, a little extra value. Yeah. A braid is just extra lightning bolt against basically red one drop creatures and to kill a hearse on a murktide. Uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. That's the sideboard. I feel like you're not over sideboarding in any matchups. The cards you're bringing in are pretty impactful and it covers you against basically everything. Um, Trying to go through the list here. I guess like some lists are playing an Emrakul because of Mill. And mm-hmm. I could see that, but kind of how you were just like, well, no one plays Rhinos or whatever. I'm just like, well, no one plays Mill. Except except they do. You know, like you go through the challenges, there's always like one or two in top 32. So Yep. Yeah, that's fair. I'm willing to take my losses to them. So be it. I'm I'm not they though, are, man. Like, it. especially a deck like this, you're trying to win a tournament, like it's it's one slot for a thing that could be like five percent of the metagame or whatever, and it's it's not bad. Uh I, I do think that if you can afford to pay that opportunity cost that you probably should, you know, it's like it's how you win these big tournaments. But I mean, you never feel like you can reliably pay that, right? Like this goes back to the argument we've had for almost two years now, maybe longer, about, about like Gigante and sideboards, where like I am just like, I will always pay that cost. I always want the Gigante. I think it's worth it. And you're very big on, no, that one sideboard slot is worth a ton. It is a ton uh, because you get to do stuff like play an Emrakul that like beats a matchup almost straight up, you know? Uh, I guess that would be my question is like, do you think it actually wins you that matchup? Because for the most part, they do account for things like Emrakul being in sideboards, right? They try, yeah. Um, but it it helps so much for you having to do very little it's not like oh i have to like draw my sideboard card and resolve it and have it work out in this situation or whatever it's just like no it's just it's there it's there and giving you turns and i think especially with how the matchup is set up where they can mill you a decent amount and like you know you have underworld breach and things like grape shot to actually like kill them uh it is it is a big problem for them because they can't just like do their thing and not have to worry about it. Because if they are just like doing their thing and you emrical them and then they start trying to like mill you out again because now they found like a surgical or something. Oh, they're they're done for. Yeah, yeah. just like all right, well now you're you're definitely lights out, right? Yeah, it does put them uh they they have to embrace a weird tension is what I'll say about the possibility of Emrakul. But maybe maybe they almost have to embrace it anyway. Like, just the fact that the card exists does a lot to actually slow down their play. And, like, there are prescribed decks that are more likely to have it, and maybe you can leverage that in some ways. Yeah, and I think is it? it's it's definitely less than a coin flip that they do have it, uh, especially the Murktide ones, because uh, stuff like Murktide region is just, like, randomly very expensive, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that they necessarily need to prepare for it, against is it but when is it shows you underworld breach and they're trying to leverage that i think whatever graveyard hate that they have should be coming in anyway so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's not absolutely. like it's not like they have to work super hard it's like they just need to have like a lantern uh before they do some stuff and you know maybe maybe that's enough but like you're kind of doing some counterplay stuff with that by like pressuring them with things that care about the graveyard and like you have your abrade and some counter magic and stuff so it matters i don't know uh gigantha i do think would matter in this deck but like i said uh i i just like the subtleties and no subtlety seems excellent and, and yeah, the i would make that more. same decision right now yeah and it's not like 
the matchups where you would bring in subtlety are the ones where it's like, oh, I would really like Jagantha. You know, mm-hmm. that's not true against 100% of matchups. Like against Amulet, you don't care about Jagantha. Against Omnath, you probably do because the games will go long enough or whatever. And any game that does go long enough, having just the extra piece of cardboard, even for like Ledger Shredder or just just to cast it, uh, it does matter. And I've like, there there are definitely decks where I like Jagantha more and I'm more on board with it being there and uh, some where I just wouldn't cut it at all. Uh, I think like the Omnath decks in Pioneer, for example, is just like, no, like that's a good Jagantha deck. Mm-hmm. But th- okay. this one, this one you could take or leave it, you know, and I'm fine with it. It's just like, do I get more from this Gigantha or more from Counterspell and Subtlety? And given that like the bad matchups are the ones where I want Counterspell and Subtlety, it's like, hell yeah, I'm taking the UU cards every day. Very easy to see why you gravitated towards this deck. There, There is a massive amount of customizability and like small tweaks that you have for optimization purposes available to you. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not uh, I'm not done. I don't think that this is necessarily the final form and certainly a lot of this stuff should get changed week to week. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. But I got a, a friend playing it in a PTQ this weekend, I think, and we'll see how he does. Uh, I kind of got the wind taken out of my sails when my stuff didn't show up. So I haven't been like looking at the BTQ schedule or anything, but I would like to play this at some point. Yeah. Keep us posted. Uh, you're going to put your sideboard guide up on the Patreon. Do we still have a Patreon? I feel like we do. We do. I posted this list here, uh, kind of apropos of nothing a couple weeks ago, just cause I was working on a bunch of deck lists and had some stuff that I liked. So I was like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, put this out there. You know, we haven't really been talking about it, but maybe this will benefit some people. And the sideboard guide I was working on when uh, I was playing on going to the tournament and my friend was going to play. But as you can see from what I sent you, it is not finished. You know, Mm -hmm. so like this is all as of a week ago or whatever, and I haven't really come back to it again. Wind out of sales, right? But if I do finish it, I'll I'll throw it up for sure. But I don't want to put up like this half finished thing. Fair enough. What else? Any any other cues that I can give you A's for? No, I think you did a good job going through my cues. I mean, you certainly did an excellent job of selling me on the deck. It it calls out to a lot of my preferences as a Magic player. So that's probably a pretty easy sale to make in the first place. But uh, like I said, I, I think it's a cool little piece of deck building. And if you think about it, like kind of an archetype that Modern's always been a little desperate for and it's done a better job like obviously this is in the range of murktide in a lot of ways it is yeah but to, to me it feels closer to a delver deck than like the other murktide decks and that has always been something that people wanted in modern like whether it made sense for it to exist or not people really really wanted it to be a thing and as ragavan came out it sort of became like the new delver and ragavan takes the place of you know delver in these quote-unquote delver decks which never have delver uh nor should they but i i think this is probably about as close as we've gotten in a very long time to a pure delver deck in the modern format yeah i think so too and uh this is i don't know like one of those weird delver doomsday matchups in legacy or whatever where it's just like you're you're a delver deck that has that aspect going on for it for sure and like that is a prominent part of your game plan but then you're also something that threatening something much larger that people also have to account for because they can 
go after the Delver stuff, load up on spot removal, but you'll just get breached out one way or another, you know, either yep. I'm drawing a bunch of it's, cards or just killing you outright. So I know it's a, a weird analogy, but it, it is almost like Dreadhorde Arcanist Delver, like in that fashion where, yes, you were under like the tempo pressure of the Delvers. And yes, Arcanist is not like, you know, huge output the way Underworld Breach was. But if you stuck an Arcanist across two turns and like brainstorm Lightning Bolt, you absolutely were getting that kind of card advantage from that sort of persistent source, the way Underworld Breach functions as well. And it like isn't quite a combo kill, but sometimes it felt like it when you were playing full powered Arcanist Delver. So I, I see a lot of similarities to that deck as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's basically like what Ragavan offers to these archetypes too, is that like, sure, it is, yeah. it is that cheap threat, but it also just facilitates you, you know, getting card advantage and like building up your mana and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty unfair for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, these, I mean, this deck in general has some of the most messed up magic cards of the past however many years, like Ragavan, DRC, Mishra's Bauble, Expressive Iteration, Underworld Breach, they would all be very near the top of my, like, mistakes list over the past, like, five or so years. I mean, so. Un Unholy Heat, too, is just, like, a card sure. that makes it so is it doesn't have to, like, splash or whatever. Yep. You know? It no, just it kills everything that you care about for, for the most part. And... There are lists that splash for things like prismatic ending or whatever, because, you know, you do want to be able to interact with random enchantments and whatnot, but it's just like, uh, heat kills most of the stuff. And then instead of worrying about whether or not you can actually remove those permanents, you just like have a bunch of different ways to kill your opponent instead. But otherwise, yeah, yeah maybe, you know, things like Tarmogoyf could rise up or whatever and just be like a huge enough problem to the point where it's like, well, now I guess I have to like splash black for Terminator or Dreadbore or something. And you just don't have to do that anymore. Just clean, clean is it. And it's just awesome. That it is. Uh, if, if anyone picks up this deck and uh, plays it, you know, this weekend, next weekend, whatever, definitely let me know how it goes. Uh, especially if you do well. If you if you do poorly, maybe don't. But um, <laughs> don't message me in that case. I'm only I'm only talking to winners here. No, I I do want to hear about it. It's just like with with a deck like this, the the problem when it's just like here's a deck list, here's a sideboarding guide is someone might pick it up, and because they are not familiar with uh, sequencing focused decks, you know things like Delver. Uh, you just end up making like a bunch of minor mistakes that like cost you games. So it's just like, yeah, I did badly with the deck. And it's like, well, you, you don't have any experience playing stuff like this. Like that is not that surprising. Um, this is not necessarily a deck that sheer power level can just like carry you through. Like there are definitely things like Ragavan and Breach, but like a lot of the games are going to be close. It is going to come down to sort of the stuff that I was talking about earlier, where it's like, yeah, you have to like float a bobble in play and you have to like, sequence your cards in the right order and you have to sideboard correctly because you can't have like too many clunky cards in this matchup or whatever you know it's it's the stuff that i love because it kind of forces me to do everything correctly and if i don't i get punished yeah. for it and yep. i don't think that that's necessarily the magic that everyone wants to be playing uh and and i definitely get that so like i i wouldn't expect to just like pick up this deck because Jerry says it's very good and immediately crush with it. Um, like definitely try and get, get I, your I reps would. in with you can. I would. 
and I, I'm actually being serious. Like I would expect to just pick this up and do very well just it, because it is in exactly in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So if you are like me and you're very comfortable in these spots, I, I do think you can just pick this up and do very well. There, there are the people of the world like Matt Costa, Dave Shields, who I always think about uh, where you just put like any sort of tempo deck in their hands. Yep. They'll be fine. And yeah, they, they, they just get it. They know it because I, I think it is just, programmed into them to some degree but also like they just have all the reps over all the years and they get it they know when to speed up when to slow down uh after like playing a game of a matchup they will know what they need to be doing at at all points basically yep i I think it's like within range for me to play my first like one or two matches pretty poorly but like by the end of the tournament i'm good like I'm, i'm just in the right place and uh i I think it's a, like you said, it's just, there's so many similarities across now decades of playing this style of deck where it just makes sense. Yeah. And if, if there was one uh, piece of advice I could give for people who are like somewhat familiar, uh, even if you've just played like Merktide to some degree is maybe just do some gold fishing uh, to the point where you get to like an underworld breach turn and make sure that you are just familiar with the amount of things that you're capable of doing on those turns. Mm. And that, that was the thing that was maybe the most beneficial for me because it's like the first time you sit down, you like cast a breach with like four mana open and a couple cards in your hand and like, you know, 10, 12 cards in your graveyard or whatever. It's like, okay, what, what am I trying to do here? Cause mm. you're the, the flow chart is basically unlimited, right? It's like, you know, I could, I could play out like some regavans and DRCs or I could just like, draw a bunch of cards like is it reasonable for me to like try and kill my opponent am i gonna have like enough lightning bolts and enough cards and whatever so just uh do that a couple of times until you sort of get a feel for like all right this is a scenario where i just want to bobble a bunch and make sure that i have some amount of like follow-up card drawer to find like the next breach or whatever uh or yeah like let's go for the kill this turn because i think we're you know like an 80 percent favorite or something or just mm-hmm. like yeah, play a Ragavan and consider a bobble and like just keep playing the game. Very cool. Love having those options. Yeah, but got to be familiar with them. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone for sitting through this rant. Uh, I always feel weird about doing like deep dives on stuff through podcast medium when it feels like a visual medium might be more appropriate, but uh, I, I love this stuff and I like this deck a lot and I think it's doing a lot of good stuff. So good luck. Thanks for allowing me to go very, very deep on this stuff. This is my favorite and I haven't done this in a while, but yeah. Game. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're going to let me talk about dumps for hours on end, mm. I, I'm pretty sure I have to let you talk about magic decks. Well, so fair trade off. I have to actually have put in the work and this time I put in the work. So happy to tap into that game for real. Good luck.